0: Hello and welcome to the Brave Business Podcast brought to you by the accounting, tax, audit and advisory firm Blick Rothenberg. Brave by name and brave by nature, this series is different. Aimed at entrepreneurial businesses, we focus on providing market updates, practical guidance, timely insights and professional opinions from industry experts, helping you make informed decisions for your business. I'm Declan Curry, journalist and broadcaster. Today we ask if and when you should sell your business. And we'll look at some of the big questions. Who might buy it? How much you might get for it? And what are the tax and legal considerations that you need to keep in mind? Sharing their expertise on this from Blick Rothenberg, its corporate tax partner, Rob Goodley. And our guest is Phil Ives, who's started and run a number of companies themselves and is now a business advisor at Bean Partners. Gentlemen, welcome to our discussion. Rob, I'll come to you in a minute. Phil, let's get your story first of all. What's your background? What's your experience? Tell me about yourself.
1: Okay first career actually was in the arts as a struggling actor and writer and in one of my jobs uh, to pay the mortgage I fell into uh, B2B media which is a grandiose way of saying conferences and exhibitions and my role essentially was as a researcher a business researcher and that was my journey to fall in love with the world of business and actually ultimately believe there's more creativity opportunity in the world of business than there was for me in the world of the arts.
0: There's a whole other series of podcasts to be done on people who ended up doing what they're doing entirely by accident. I would have shot myself
1: as a teenager if I'd have thought I'd end up where I am now. But uh, it's so much more gratifying and fulfilling. Uh, And on the back of that, I guess that somewhere underneath there was a sort of an entrepreneurial muscle that I then started to flex. And over the course of the best part of 20 years, built, ran, sold, or as I now say, gave away three different businesses. Uh, before spending a couple of years working to set up a business called Global Data, PLC today. And the last 10 years, uh, I've gone to the dark side of business advisory, where I'm a partner in uh, a consulting corporate finance uh, business called Bean Partners.
0: So you are a serial entrepreneur you have created companies you have sold companies and you liked it so much you did it all over again
1: yeah well I made every mistake in the book along the way so I keep going and keep trying to get it right but uh, I I describe myself more as a recovering entrepreneur these days
0: mistakes are good if we learn from them so we'll talk about the learnings uh, a a little bit later the first business that you sold tell me more about it
1: uh, so I was partial owner. I was the CEO. And uh, it was a very successful business from a growth point of view. We were, I think, technically a gazelle company, as they call it. I think the definition of that is a minimum of 20% growth every year, year on year for a minimum of five years on the trot that puts you in something like point two percent of businesses. So it sounds cool. Uh, right. And we were turning over 13.6 million and about three million of EBITDA on that. And I thought, happy days. I'm, I'm on for uh, on for a good outcome here uh, and decided to sell the business at the point when I was suffering badly from uh, stress and anxiety and all that lovely stuff that so often happens for business founders.
0: So that was the that was the pivot point. That, that was the that point was, when you
1: thought I could do no no more, and it happened very quickly within about eighteen months of going. This is amazing. I went. This is just hell.
0: Was it in your mind from the very start that at no. some point you would sell? The no, I just
1: sort of thought one yeah one day it'll happen. Uh, and when I got to the point that I needed to sell for my own personal well being, I then found I'd managed to. Build a very successful business from certain metrics, such as, you know, growth and revenue and profit, but not actually from the other metrics that will tell you whether your business is valuable or not.
0: Thinking about that business and the other businesses that you have set up, talk me through the thought process, that that sense of when you think it is time to sell, and then when you start the process of finding out how much other people think it's worth.
1: I repeated the same formula then three times, essentially, let's build a business and hope I can sell it. And each time I got to the point of wanting to sell it, I found out that it wasn't worth anything like what I hoped it would be. Uh, and that if I stuck around for another two to three years and did certain stuff, then maybe I get a very different result. But each time I just wasn't in the right place to do that. So I moved on and uh, and went again. So the next steps, uh, in my case, uh, I was at the school that believed you're probably uh, better off to get an advisor on board. So I started talking to advisors and the advisors rocked up and they promised all sorts of amazing outcomes and they quoted certain numbers and timeframes that they'd be able to sell the deal. And then the reality that turned out bore no resemblance whatsoever uh, to what I'd been led to believe.
0: Uh, uh, while you're saying this, I'm looking at Rob to see if there's any sort of flicker of recognition in his eyes that that might be the pro- How do you see the process? Do you wait for business owners to come to you or are you actively looking, listening? for information about what might be coming on the market.
2: Yeah, I think best case scenario you're constantly having discussions with your client and this this comes out naturally years before a sale process is on the horizon. So clients are saying to you or you're saying to them what what's your long long term aim, you know, um for this business and if it is to sell, okay, let's start thinking about that early and speaking to the right advisors. Do you know before they do
0: that it's time to sell?
2: Great question. Um sometimes yes i think that's right i mean it's 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 they're too close to it it. it's difficult to let go at times um yes i think when you're when you're so close to it you don't always uh you have a skewed view of what the value of the business is i think Uh, either way it can it can be either way certainly but um taking those external sounding boards i think can can bring you closer to reality in some cases okay
0: how did you feel how did you start the conversation with the advisors
1: Well, actually, I started off, I was anchored back to the first business, because that was arguably the worst result of all. Uh, I I started off with, uh, what can I get for this? And how quickly can you get me out of it? And it really was as simple as that. I'd been going for a little while, trying to solve all the problems that had grown up in, grown in the business with growth, you know, with growth comes complexity. And, you know, we did not have systems and structure and all that lovely sort of process stuff in place. So it was becoming highly dysfunctional and an utter nightmare to, to run. So actually my context was more about getting out than it was about getting any specific number as a result
0: of a sale. You think it's worth X, they think it's worth Y. Do you just accept the valuation or is there a bit of resistance there? Do, you, do you, Does it cross your mind? Do you know if I had a different advisor, I'd get a different number?
1: Yeah, well, I spoke to a number of advisors and they all said roughly the same thing. Oh, you'll be between a six and an eight in terms of the multiple, something like that. So I just bought into that as being a statement of
0: truth, which now I know is just rubbish. But, uh... What are the maths, Rob? If you're a business owner, you're listening to this you've sort of reconciled yourself to the idea that you might have to sell this precious creation of yours. You might have to sell the baby. What do you need to think about when you're working out what it's worth in the real world?
2: So I think um, this is where, you know, a partner like Bean Partners is all important, but sadly not always appointed. Um, I think too often a business owner will say, well, look, I know that businesses in my sector sell for X times their EBITDA with EBITDA being a profit measure. So that number says six to eight. So, um, and I I know, I think I know who will buy the business. So I'll approach them and say, look, this is the multiple in our industry. Will you buy me for that number? And actually as Phil can talk to um, that will almost always get you a worse result than if you'd appointed an advisor who is well informed about your market space. Because in most cases, you don't know the entire size of your buyer pool. And the multiple you've picked out could well be not appropriate for your business because of various factors.
0: Of course, now you're an advisor. I am indeed. So you've you've seen it from both sides. I have. What are your thoughts?
1: There's a statistic that I just can, can never get away from, uh, which we're obsessed at being partners with research and data and all that lovely stuff. And there's research done by Forbes, actually. Which has concluded that of all the businesses that attempt to sell, 90% actually fail to do so.
0: Does that mean they're unsellable, or does it mean that attempt fails, but a subsequent one will be successful?
1: It could be the latter, but very often, uh, ultimately, they don't sell. So one one in ten actually sell. So uh, nine nine out of ten that attempt to sell their business never actually get a get a result.
0: Do we know why that nine out of ten? Does not sell.
1: There's there's a ton of reasons around that. Obviously, anything from some you know key metrics and business model dynamics and market characteristics, and maybe there just was never an acquirer pool. Um, there, there's one key bit which is uh, so often not understood and, and which is missed, and which I was blissfully unaware of when I was actually running uh, my own companies. Which is there is such a thing as a business life cycle that all businesses go through. They go through exactly the same cycle in exactly the same stages, albeit in their own time frame and if you get your head around that 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 model it involves there's good times obviously you know, we workshop this quite often with business owners these days and they'll say oh when we started off we were all excited it's a feelings based model uh, we started off excited then it got frantic and then we were kind of anxious or no is it going to work and then there's a fundamental moment when the feelings shift to confidence so it's like ah, oh, this is this is really going to happen we call that the first brick wall in relation to a model that was built by Sherlock's group uh, and then off we go into the good times happy days good strong steady incremental growth and then you hit a moment of wow this is just amazing euphoric payback kind of thing everybody we hire is a superstar and I can leap tall buildings in one go and I can do no wrong and unfortunately that bit doesn't last very Long, uh, because usually we then head off into the, a stage called frustration, uh, which is something to do with the fact that the business is now growing really rather quickly, and with growth comes complexity, and the systems and structure and processes that I put in place right at the start are no longer fit for purpose. So inefficiencies are growing, and the profit goes down, and now people are moaning around the place. The BMWs, as I used to call them, the bitches, moaners, and whiners who start talking about the fact that things aren't going as well as they used to go in the old days, and on we go. You know what? It gets worse. In my own case, and I'm very happy to admit this, I ended up on antidepressants because the stress that came with trying to keep this beast going uh, was serious. And there'd be days I literally couldn't drag myself into the office. And it gets even worse from that. And you hit a moment in the model, which is called the second brick wall, which is a moment of fundamental disillusion, which is the why am I doing this? And in my case, I went, it took 18 months to go from this is why I did this to why am I doing it? Uh, And that started my process to think of just get me the hell
0: out of here. How commonplace is that? Because I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, I've hardly ever had this conversation. And I think that says as much about you as it does anything else that you having the bravery to talk about it here on this on this podcast.
1: I'm, I'm on a bit of a mission, really, to float around society and talk to entrepreneurs and business owners and help them understand you realize what you've got yourself into here. And I think when you look at the research and the data on this, you know, if, if you found a business, you've automatically subscribed to the small subset of society that's most likely to suffer from anxiety and sleep deprivation and addiction and all these kind of things. So it's serious stuff. Uh, And then the bit that breaks my heart is these are people that are usually well intended, they put their own money in or their family's money in or all this kind of stuff and they end up not actually being able to sell this asset that they built after 20 years maybe of having employed people and done a a load of amazing stuff but they do not get a fair reward, a fair payback for the risk they've taken and the stress that they've suffered. Um, Whereas I now know that if you do certain things to a business at certain stages, you are far, far, far more likely to get an outcome that feels fair. Sounds childish, but I'm talking fairness here. I think it's a fair reward is deserved for entrepreneurs.
0: Okay, let's set out some of those steps. Start with step
1: number one. Okay, step number one It's not my quote. I can't remember who said it, but begin with the end in mind. So a massive learning I got around this whole topic, uh, which is very strange because I was my own boss for 20 years, and I then had a boss for two years, who was a guy called Mike Danson who'd sold his first business, which was called Data Monitor, which he sold for 502 million quid. And when I got to know Mike, it was clear on day one when he set up Data Monitor, he was planning to sell it for 500 million quid. Don't miss the 2 million that he actually sold it for on top of that. He's particularly proud of that. But that was that was the game. He had no idea how he was going to sell for 500 mil, but that was the mission. That's where he began. And there, that was the lens through which he looked at everything in relation to selling that business.
0: The importance of that is what? Is that it provides a, a focus. It shows you an end point. It yeah. Is a reality check? What is it? Yeah, it's, it means you operate contextually. So, and I acknowledge for
1: some business owners, selling the business is not important. So, obviously, I'm just talking for those for whom it is important. But if that's important, well, that's the context to me that you build a business. And there are certain things that you do that will create value in a business that will influence what that multiple is that you get of EBITDA that Rob mentioned earlier, uh, which I was blissfully unaware of, which most business owners are blissfully unaware of. So, so if it's... I understand that,
0: I can build it. So, if you have that in your head from the very start, you're decision-making your behavior as a creator of the business will be different.
1: Completely. And it, it's exactly that. It's context. I think the definition of context is that which gives meaning. So every decision that I make has meaning so rather than, oh, do I, do I get an apple or a banana? Well, the, the answer is which one's going to grow the value of the business. Uh, and Mike Danson, he's all about share price. So every decision is really easy in terms of, well, will it push the share price up or not make any difference? And the answer is very, very quick, usually. Next steps? Next steps, uh, research, data, understand your market. Again, the sad reality is that, and I'll first party this, this is what I did, is I believed I knew my industry and my market. Actually, most business owners don't have a full market picture. We did a piece of work recently with a a smallish medical devices business in the Northwest of England that was uh, founded and owned by uh, a guy who'd been, uh, been there 25 years. Uh, he thought he knew every individual, every company in that space, and he set us a bit of a challenge to find out if there are other medical devices, specifically in the northwest of England, uh, that he hadn't come across, and we found 11 of them. So the difference there is, is profound. This is where you can end up building your business based on real data, on checked facts, if you like, rather than believed facts. Uh, and beware what you get into, because the facts will sometimes tell you great stuff, and other times they'll tell you, you know what, you're not in a transactable market. If you've got that kind of business with that business model, chances are you'll never sell it.
0: And Rob, the importance of this then is that when you and your fellow advisors step in at the point where the business owner says, I want to sell, it makes a huge difference to what it is you've got to sell.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's really important to not be reactionary, I think. And this is the whole point Phil makes about. What do you mean by that? So I think uh, too often uh, business owners get to these brick walls that Phil talks about and say... I've gone as far as I can, I can't take this any further, I'm gonna sell the business. Or there's maybe some, there's one single factor which is driving their decision-making, like I'd like to retire. And actually I've decided now's the time, so I'm just gonna sell. And um, that's when you reach a bad outcome. Because on on the commercial front, as Phil talks about, you need to kind of think about a number of factors in the round to get the best result. From a kind of advisor perspective, you don't wanna just be shoving a business on the market and hoping it sells. You need to have a a really deep dive look at the business to make sure you understand any risks or problems that are there. Because if you don't, a buyer will. And inevitably, when a buyer finds a big problem from a tax or legal perspective, the deal will fall over.
0: And if as the statistics, the research suggests, 90% of sale transactions don't go through, you need to have that flexibility to pause it to pull it off the market, come back at another stage.
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you've um if you've kind of gone through some form of beauty parade, you may have kind of put off a number of your potential buyers because they've had an initial look at your business and thought, there's a lot of problems there. Even if you bring it back to the market in a year or two, I'm, I'm probably not interested. In that early stage of preparation
0: for a sale, what are the tax considerations that should be in your mind?
2: Well, I think I always say to business owners that um. You know, you should work with a corporate finance advisor to help you with the headline figure. Let's get the biggest number we can for your business, but then recognize that tax is going to be the biggest cost to you. So, what is what is the tax outcome you're going to get on the sale of this business? And inevitably, an owner, owner will say, "Well, I'll pay capital gains tax at ten percent or twenty percent or, or whatever." And I'll say, well, do, "Do you know that for sure?" You know, so that I think that f- for me, the, the the first stage then is well, while you're speaking to a commercial advisor about that headline price, let's have a deep dive to find if there's any tax problems in the business which are going to chip that value away, and then actually, what's the tax outcome going to be for you and your family on the proceeds that you receive, and then I, I guess because I should I'd name check it as well, legal issues like in the business the also obviously need to be considered it, because if, for example, you're relying on IP but it's not clear that you own it, you know, you're not going to be able to sell that business.
0: You talked about the mistakes that you've made and that you've learned from. What are the most important ones you've learned?
1: Um, It's a long list. Um, I've I've, I've already mentioned the begin with the end in mind. Understand that actually a business is, is on so many levels a mathematical formula, that there are specific things that you do that will generate specific returns whether that be from a profit or a multiple point of view so without getting into the detail of that on on this there's stuff there that I was just unaware of that business owners are not aware of but there are some very classic ones as well so I I remember by the ultimate acquirer of my first business um, he called me the chief everything officer Uh, which is a very common syndrome for business founders. Everything was in my head. I made all the decisions. I hadn't built a proper succession team because I thought that would be expensive, but on my word, that blew up from a value point of view when it came to a transaction. Um, So, you know, building a sustainable, scalable business that's not dependent on me or any other key individuals is is not a bad first piece of advice, I think, for anybody thinking of a sale. And, you know, that's the reality. So many business owners that come to us and say, oh, I'm ready to go. And then we point out what the issues are and there's dependency around the founder and they then find out they've got two to three years worth of. Work to do when they're possibly out of energy uh, to actually build a functional structure below them, uh, or you know the option is they get locked into the business for three years, and now they've got a boss for the first time in their life.
0: You've hit on exactly the point I was going to ask you about, which is we're we're setting out. You're setting out such fantastic uh, lessons here, and it struck me that some of them are things that you needed to have got right at the start. What if the business is already running? It's been running for years.
1: Yeah, the the longer it's been running, typically the longer it will take to unpick the dysfunctionality or whatever it is that you've got sitting in the business. Uh, but the fact is, if you don't address it, it will likely blow up when it comes to some kind of transaction. Uh, but if I go back to the begin with the end in mind now, then, yeah, you can actually put the building blocks in place at the start. But the trouble is, particularly in that lifecycle model, as I mentioned, there, there are some, you know, I made it sound all gloom and doom, but there's some fantastic moments in there. There were times when I really felt I could do no wrong. Well, you know what? I'm afraid at that point I wasn't open to listening to people who were saying, well, maybe you need a bit more structure and a bit more process And because I thought, I thought this was just going to carry on forever. Unfortunately, the model told me
0: it wasn't going to, and sure enough, it didn't. Putting yourself in the position of that entrepreneur yeah. who's running a business, has been running it for years, it's going great. Who should they be talking to right now?
1: Um, I would say somebody who's been through it. Um, and you know, one outtake uh, you, you can you, uh, you can have from that Forbes statistic is that essentially the corporate finance industry is broken, um, and the reality is most of them are full of people who've never actually really owned or run a business. Um, and I just think it's it's really important to be able to put yourself in the shoes or the seat of a, a business owner and, and sort of understand the journey that they that they're getting into.
0: But there are things that they can be doing. Uh, t- totally, completely, utterly, yeah. Absolutely. Even if when they started the business, they didn't have that thought that you think is so wise to have of, of having the end game. Yeah. You, that's recoverable, yeah?
1: It's pretty much all recoverable. You know, you've got a bigger problem if you find out uh, late in the day that you're essentially in a business sector where there are very few transactions that happen and there's, there's you know there's not a active acquirer market. Well, If you've got to completely pivot the business into a different profit, uh, different product, or a different service, well, that's that's arguably going to take you a lot of time. But there's an awful lot of stuff you can do that I was completely uninterested in. Let's face it, a lot of entrepreneurs don't jump out of bed in the morning to say, "Oh, I must go and get my tax and legal and compliance and IP stuff sorted out," and you know, PAYE audits and all these things that can blow up when it comes to a sale. You know, we we entrepreneurs normally sort of swing from the chandeliers when we're talking about new products and innovation and all that all that lovely stuff. But if if I've got these other issues in the business, it doesn't matter how great the cool stuff is, and the chances are I end up either not selling the business or a massive discount.
2: Just to expand on that as well, um, you know, if you have an advisor like who says to someone, I'm sorry, there's just not an acquirer market in here, you cannot sell this business without a huge pivot. Actually it's good to have broader conversations there because you talk to a tax or legal advisor, they could say, Well here are some kind of softer exit routes you can take which don't involve a third party. Which can still achieve your aim of selling the business you know in but a, in a market where there aren't third parties who are interested
0: what i'm trying to get a sense of is that this is a process we talked about the circumstances in which entrepreneurs consider a sale, and in many cases it's that thunderbolt moment of oh suddenly i've realized i'm sixty five or I want to retire or i've had enough and that leads to sell it I sell it at any price decision. What we're discussing here is a more methodical, long running process of keeping the business fit for sale at the most advantageous point in the future. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. And it's very easy as an entrepreneur to fall in love with your, your business. You know, they always use the language "It's my baby. It's my baby. But unfortunately, they fall in love with their baby at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the critical word for me is options you know because I'm doing it now you know I'm, I'm a partner in a business we have a three-year plan to sell the business and all those kind of things what I want at that point is is every option available to me we might love running the business so much at that point that we decide not to sell it great if we do I'm hopeful we'll sort of maximize the return on it and actually I don't want to be locked into the business so I'm going to make sure I don't have any more than one direct report in the business uh, at that point but it's it's it's, it's a question of you know begin with the end in mind and, and plan for it I think it was Wayne Gretzky the uh, ice hockey coach said said, the best players skate to where the puck is going to be. You know, well, that's a, to me, that's a totally relevant quote in this, in this conversation.
0: Let's walk through some of the sort of the broader commercial and, and, and strategic things that uh, you should keep in mind. Rather than selling all the business, selling part of the business. Talk me through that.
2: So, um, yeah, I think this comes up more commonly than people think, actually, um, because often you might have a, a business which has got a couple of strands to it uh and maybe the bigger strand a buyer is interested in and you know you might agree a multiple of 6 times for that strand actually and the buyer says i'll take the whole thing for 6 times when actually that small other bit might be worth substantially more than that and actually from from my world a, a tax world you can if you've got more than one businesses in a company you can extract one from another tax neutrally effectively but it takes time. So I think it really pays in that situation to have an advisor, a corporate finance advisor say to you, look, this bit, don't sell it, take it out now. And you have those conversations well in advance. So you aren't trying to pick two businesses apart at the same time as selling one. But absolutely, I think you can often get to a stage where you know this nascent business you're building is being undersold when actually, if you could just kept hold of it, you could build something new
0: this again chimes with our sort of theme of keeping the business fit for sale
1: correct and um, I, you know i love this question because it can transform the experience and the journey of the founder um, i had a conversation just this week with a guy who owns a shipping business actually but he's got three or four different line uh, revenue lines um, and it got clear there's one that looks pretty saleable now uh, and if he does that you know what he'll clear the mortgage and he won't have to worry about putting the kids through school if that's what he wants to do. And so en- energetically, his whole experience uh, for the next five, 10 years will be completely different.
0: Flip the time scale around. Rather than talking about an entrepreneur, about company owner selling the business because they want to sell it at that time, what about when a sale comes on the horizon because somebody wants to buy it? Either the buyer approaches you or there's some sort of opportunistic circumstance where there is a buyer where there wasn't once before.
1: Okay. Uh, and and that's obviously very common. Um, and uh, I, on some level, give you the same answer, which is if I've been building this to sell and I know what I want to sell it for and to who, then I can look at any opportunist approach that pops up within context. As opposed to the reality of what happens, which is suddenly go, oh, here's an interesting, shiny thing. Let's talk about that. And very often the conversation will develop and actually not turn into anything whatsoever. And then the business owner turns around and goes, oh, damn, I was distracted for six months there. And now the wheels are coming off the core business. And now I've got another year or two to go get it back on track. So, you know, having that plan in the first place means that you can look at any opportunity with, with context.
0: And again, this reinforces the idea of knowing the marketplace, knowing who the potential buyers might be and where they might emerge from.
2: Yes, exactly. But I think there's, there's even a, a further step to that, which I'm sure Phil will have a lot to say on, which is what's the value of your business to those parties? So it's very easy to say, well, I know my business and I think it's worth X, but there might be some really huge strategic value in your business to somebody else, which means it's worth a lot more than that. So it's not only knowing your potential buyer, Paul, I don't think it's also knowing what they need in their business to be a success.
1: Yeah, this is one of my favourite conversations. It's uh, when you really lift the lid and go digging in a business and you try and identify what are the real assets that they've got. This is you as an advisor. Yeah, Yeah. this is us as an an advisor. A lot of businesses have got assets. They don't think of them as assets. They just built something that they need in order to run their, their core business. But sometimes that asset, they're not always there, but sometimes if you can identify an asset, you can then, as Rob says, you can look at that differently from the perspective of a potential acquirer. Uh, which can then leverage the acquirer's business, which then takes you into a whole different type of conversation. We sold a health tech business earlier this year. And we were part of the beauty parade of other corporate finance houses. All our competitors had said, oh, you'll get between six and nine as a multiple. We said we think more is possible, not just in order to win the business, but actually we could see something sitting in the business that we thought was an asset that was highly leverageable for somebody else. And sure enough, we sold that business in March on a multiple of 21.
0: And again, you see that with your outsider's perspective. It's not always immediately apparent to the owner of the business.
1: Exactly. To come back to the research, you need a research piece at the front end. The the reality is most advisors will sort of throw your business into the market and hope there's somebody out there that's interested. We're proud how few deals we do because actually we turn away most approaches. And if we can do that research bit and identify the assets, you can then take a view and say this is not only transactable, but we can get ourselves into a very interesting conversation from a multiple point of view.
0: Thinking about selling the business, getting the business ready for sale, and then firing the gun on the process. That takes a lot of time, attention, and focus. It does.
1: And you know, I've never had a business owner say to me, I wish I hadn't spent so long building the value of my business. Um, It's always a different conversation. It's always, I didn't spend long enough, or I didn't get around to it early enough. Uh, all those kind of things. Uh, and uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, how much time do I need to, to put into it? And I'm afraid, I don't like questions that get an answer of it depends, but I'm afraid it depends. So if you go back to the life cycle, it depends how early on in that journey you have begun to work on the value of the business. That means that when the moment comes to push the button and start a process, you are able typically to keep an eye on the business as it runs whilst also getting involved in a, in a process. But it can consume you completely that process if you're not ready for it.
0: But even if you have prepared as best you can for it, the sale process will still demand considerable bandwidth, time, focused attention.
2: It's a job in itself for that period, which could be a period of a few months. So absolutely, if you're going to that process, I think you kind of have to have a look around at the resource in your business and say, can we cope with this? And actually, if we don't think we can, we need to bring some external help in because there's nothing worse than entering a process and things seem to be going well, but actually the business's numbers are going sideways. The buyer's seeing that and then all of a sudden you're in that 90% case of, uh, of the M&A falling over. So yeah, it's 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 a real challenge. And I, I don't think there's many owners who would say at the end of a process, um, wow, that didn't take as much time as I thought it would. You know, it, it is all consuming.
0: We keep coming back to this 90% of attempted sales transactions don't succeed. It does make you wonder, why do it at all? Yeah, I'm
1: sure if you're one of those, it, it does. I mean, I, I, I did manage to sell my businesses, so I'm fortunate I'm in the camp. But You're in the, I, the 10%. Well, I am, although within the t- three, three three here's times. the second <laughs> statistic the fools have got. Of those that do sell, 70 to 80% disappoint in terms of the result. So I'm in that group. Fortunate I sold, but you know what? It wasn't a fair reflection of the risk and the stress and the, all, all the other stuff that you do. And all of this can be planned for. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a magic wand that just makes all of this go away, um, but you can get radically different results if, if you plan for it based on real data.
0: So you've got, to do, you've got to put in the work. You've got to do your research, do your homework, keep the business fit and ready for sale, and then be prepared to make that commitment of time once the process starts.
1: Correct. And, you know, typically you need a growth story. So, you know, the business can't stop growing. If it does, you might, might just lose the sale for that reason alone, as Rob says. You know, if the numbers come off, well, then, then we've got a different problem.
0: Is there a good time to sell? Is there a bad time to sell?
1: Well, in relation to the life cycle model that I referenced, there's definitely good times and definitely bad times. So when I was, you know, happy days in my business, you would have had to hose me down with a lot of money to winkle me out of that one. Two years later, I'm saying, well, would you write me a damn check for? Uh, you know, there's, even in a small business, there could be millions of pounds at stake there. But yeah, timing, business timing, business life cycle is part of it. There's also the economic situation is another another factor.
2: And I'll just add to that as well, There's a, connected to it is the, um, the tax framework. Um, because obviously, if you look at the situation we're in currently, tax rates are going to go up, it seems. We don't know exactly when, but that should be something that comes into the mix in your thinking um, as part of the macro environment assessment effectively. And the relevant taxes there are what? So really, you're looking essentially at capital gains tax. Um, if you're a non-DOM at the moment, you're looking at maybe a, a big differential in what you might pay. Um, and uh, Labour have come out and explicitly said that if they come into power, they will they will get rid of that regime. So, um, Oh, economic policy
0: can change without the party and power having to change. We've exactly. seen that.
2: Yes, exactly. Absolutely. So um, these are, again, external factors which should be taken into consideration.
0: Looking at the state of the economy now, if you were thinking about selling your business, should you wait?
1: It's obviously a very hot topic at at the moment, and it's one we're very tuned into. Uh, Actually, we we observe a thing called an economic clock, which is a macroeconomic view of how things um, sort of unfold as we go. And... um, We're in tune with what's being said at the moment, economic correction till 2024. Uh, Actually, I've got a slide I could show you that dates back to 2007, which said from a macroeconomic perspective, there was going to be an economic correction between 2020 and 2024. So we're, we're, we're in that economic correction. And the different research and different data out there is a bit confusing. So on the one hand, you can look at the fact that $3.3 trillion of private equity money was not deployed between 20, uh, 2020 and 2022. You know, where's that gone? You might think that'd be, be ready to go. But actually, when you do the research around dry powder, as they call it, i.e., the, the capital, the VC and capital that is available to invest, that's 60% down on what it was a year ago. Uh, valuations are down especially in the tech sector there's obviously a lot of sort of very public stories at the moment uh, around that but beware drawing a conclusion from all of that that you can't sell your business as a decent valuation we've actually got more uh, mandates on our books at the moment and none of those are being affected by the uh, economic conversation any of the businesses we sold in the last 12 months have not been impacted uh, by anything that's going on in the economy so the, the fundamentals remain that if your, your, your business um, fundamentals are sound. If it's a transactable market, there is always a high valuation to be to be had.
0: But to use the state agent language, it's a buyer's market.
1: From a supply and demand point of view, it's it's more it's more that at the moment. But you know, you can and you can look at this in different ways. If uh, if you're interested in acquisition, if you're
0: interested in in buying, then this is a fantastic time. Well, that's exactly the point. We we remember we cast our minds back to the credit crunch and the recession that followed. That there was still an awful lot of M&A activity going on a lot of a lot of acquisitions
2: yeah no absolutely and um, there will always be competition for good assets so if you have a good business there's always potentially a good time to sell because there are people that want to buy that business and we shouldn't also forget that some businesses do well in a recession Um, you know for example there's a number of fast food restaurants I think doing particularly well at the moment so there will always be winners and losers there's not just losers in any any economic situation
0: Phil Ives from Bean Partners, Rob Goodley from Blick Rothenberg. Such an interesting and fascinating conversation. Thank you both very much for being a part of it. And if you'd like further insights around the owner-managed business life cycle, then you can visit Blick Rothenberg's Entrepreneurs Hub for further insights. That's www.blickrothenberg.com entrepreneurs. I'm Declan Curry. This has been the Blick Rothenberg Brave Business Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our conversation.